Whether you're listening to us on your MP3 player, computer, or smartphone, it's just another example of how the net has transformed being vegan along with the rest of the world. I'm Ian McDonald, and I'll be talking to someone who's done more than anybody else to put vegan options online. Eric Brent, founder of leading veggie restaurant website, Happy Cow. And I'm finding out how this has changed the vegan groups here in London. I'm Diana Fleischman, looking at how my smartphone helps me choose the vegan option. When I went vegan almost four years ago, I could get all my information from websites. And because I didn't know anyone vegan yet, I could hear podcasts and hear about other vegans' experience on the net. But Ian went vegan in the dark ages. When I started 20 years ago, the only way to meet other vegans was to get a printed list of events and go along to them. So Ian went to London Vegans, a local group, the same group that he started attending 20 years ago, to find out how things have changed. Okay, so are you here because of the internet? Yes! There are about 40 to 50 people in a community centre in central London here to hear Kerry McCarthy, vegan politician. Now, London Vegan's been around for decades, so has been massively affected by the internet and the growth of other internet-based groups. Peter Despard has seen these changes. There's a lot more people we're serving, we're giving the information to, but the comeback or turning into bums on seats or walkers in fields hasn't, uh, hasn't noticeably changed, except for tonight. But tonight I gather there's been a lot of uh, talk on the, uh, the Twitter sphere or somewhere. Somewhere it's been going on, so we've got some more people tonight, obviously, so that's, that's good. Could you put some numbers on that? So uh, Mailing list uh, never really exceeded 150. We've got about 400 now, of which we printed about 70 paper diaries at the last mailing session, and there were about 400 emails. But originally there were around 150, and gradually they changed from paper to email as we asked them to, because it's less work. How have you been affected by all the other internet-based meetup and social groups that have arisen over the last decade? Well, uh, of recent months and whatever, uh, our uh, restaurant visits have um, uh, reduced simply because there's so many other people organising restaurant visits. So, in a way, we're something we don't have to do. You can just look at it that way. Do you think it's changed the character of the movement at all? There's more younger people coming now, which is good. Karen McCarthy herself is her party's social media expert. The woman who first delivered her speech from an iPad and gained the rights to tweet from the House of Commons. I think, as with so many other causes, it's just made it a lot easier for people to communicate, to know that there are other people that feel the same, um, you know, to spread ideas, to share recipes. I noticed um, with people who are vegetarian thinking of going vegan for their New Year's resolutions, actually to be able to contact vegans and sort of who can give them sort of a bit of a boost, tell them how to do it, tell them where to get produce from. That sort of thing is really useful. You might remember Ian interviewed Kerry McCarthy in a previous show and she led a debate in the UK Parliament on World Vegan Day. You can hear that show in our archives at theveganoption.org. So as well as being good for getting the information out and helping, say, the Beijing Vegan Meetup or St. Petersburg Vegan Facebook group get going, the web can be a challenge to which old groups have to adapt. 
Now I'm a geek. I, I built a, a website for work in 1994. It's still up. I've worked mostly with the web ever since. I thought I was pretty geeky, but then I met Ian. But like everyone else in the developed world, I first look for information online when I'm traveling to Wrocław, Poland for a conference or to Munich, Germany to see my grandmother. I open up Happy Cow. Other guides, like Veggie Guide from several U.S. animal organizations, are available, and we'll be impartial with our links in the show notes. But I wanted to find out how that leading site got started, so I called founder Eric Brent on Skype. We started at the beginning in 1999, when existing online guides kept letting him down. Uh, I actually traveled 15 years straight, and it's frustrating when you go somewhere and, and try to find a place to eat and travel across the town to search for a place would end up often getting there and, and still be hungry because the place was closed. And I just had a lot of time on my hands. I was actually living in India at the time. I wasn't familiar with like HTML and those kind of things. I had to learn that myself and had no idea of how large it was going to get and how managing a database of all the restaurants, all the vegetarian, vegan restaurants in the whole world. I had no idea what kind of time-consuming task that would turn into. You had no idea what you were letting yourself in for? Not at all. And the internet was, you know, this is dial-up days that were fair if you were in, in, you know, living in the U.S., but I was in India and it was just dreadful. The internet constantly was unavailable. To upload the site took three days. I mean, that's how bad it was. How long did it stay as hand-coded with your own bare hands uh, until it had to become something much more dynamic and software-led? So it was about a year of, of this, I imagine. Uh, and I realized that it was not manageable to keep it that way. It became a real problem every time I wanted to update a restaurant and change something that I had to go through, find that page of hard-coded HTML and then change that file and upload it. It was ridiculous because nowadays this site's being updated hundreds and hundreds of times per week. Sarah from Belgium asked, what did you do to stay passionate? Because this is a project that took a lot of time over several years. Yeah, it's something that um, it's always been a labor, a labor of love. And I did it as a service. I did it sort of as a seva, as a... That's a, that's a Hindu word, isn't it? Uh, yeah. It was possible because I, I have other income and I was actually, I was working doing other jobs to support myself and I had enough free time to handle it. There were many periods, and there still are, where it's difficult to do the same thing every day. That's sometimes, yeah, it sometimes gets mundane. And there is burnout occasionally where I just need to take a break. And I think that's happened over the years. There have been times when the site's been a lot more active, a lot more updated, and there's been times when it's, you know, not getting the love that it needs. So, so I guess the final the financial turnover only pays for yeah. I mean, altogether, there's you know a few thousand dollars here and there that go through each month, go through the site, and and it's just just enough to carry it through. I'm not taking a salary really, and in the last few years, especially, it's become more full time. And I had other part time jobs that I've stopped doing, so I could managed to get through my inbox every day. It's pretty crazy each morning to wake up to hundreds of emails. 
try to you know answer people. I love when I can to reach out, reach back, and mm. that's been a challenge over the last few years. But it's it's kind of like I said, it's kind of been able to just support itself, and and that's about where we are. We're looking to make a lot more money from different ventures that we're starting on because we need to be able to pay some of the developers and designers that we're working with, and, and that's where we're at right now. So currently, there's twelve people working with Happy Gal. And some of us are volunteers and, and some are getting a nominal salary, some are getting uh, paid a more standard salary, some are equity partners. That's just a new thing in the last six months that I've taken on partners. And, and really, in this year, you will see Happy Cow blossom, I think. I've brought in some professional designers and programmers this year. I'm looking forward to the changes that you know, are going to be taking place. You're now looking to put it on a more uh, organizational, it's, formal footing, is that fair to say? or To some degree, it's, it's really going to be uh, that it's just something that sustains itself. That's the goal. There's a long ways to go. And this new team that's in place is really going to do that. I've seen a first look at the new homepage and kind of the direction we're going. And it's, it's, it's going to be cleaner and, and just easier to use. We're going to go back to Eric in a moment, but his labor of love has made it immeasurably easier than it used to be to find places to eat and shop all over the world. There are so many more ways to share information and to find a community online, of which the show is one, but it can be a lot harder to find any money to pay the bills. Stephen Fennec-Paul, a former director of the UK Vegan Society, who now runs another veggie restaurant finder website, wrote in to say, it's having a negative effect on people taking up paying membership of organizations like the Vegan Society. It seems that if your business model as an organization is to send people a magazine to keep them informed, nowadays they're less likely to send you any money. It's the same problem that newspapers face. Stephen Fennec-Paul also wanted to know if Happy Cow would share its data over an API. What is that? Well, the Happy Cow website knows where all these restaurants are. And obviously it shares that information on its website. Uh, an API is way, a way of it sharing that, not just with other human beings, but with the computers, other websites, smartphones, etc. Hmm, that's invaluable. I'm going to get my iPhone out and recommend some favorite vegan apps. But what did Eric say, first, when I put Stephen's question about sharing his data? So we already do have an API, and we're just working on that. That will be part of the new website that comes out. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed that PETA is using our API, and they're the first one to use it. Um, we're going to come out with an API that's more uh, accessible to other websites, and that should be out in the next month or two. That means other websites will be able to pull your data in, mash exactly. it up. Exactly, yeah. I look forward to interrogating the index and doing little nice little info diagrams of, of the densities of the per capita vegan restaurants for different countries. Okay. So when I've uh, submitted a review to Happy Cow, as I have, the, under the user agreement, all the mm -hmm. copyright goes to Happy Cow. There are right. alternative models. I mean, for example, if I write an article for Wikipedia, I have the copyright mm -hmm. over what I write. 
Wikipedia have a license to use it, and they also share it with the world under a Creative Commons license. And I, I'd say probably that it's just that there's not too much thought that's gone into that. And, I, and I'm sure that at some point we'll review that. It's a blanket thing that was uh, adapted from maybe like a Yelp or a, a city searchers, that kind of thing. We don't obviously have money to pay lawyers for that kind of stuff. So I think that it was really just put there as a statement so that there was no question about issues of ownership. And really, I don't see an issue about giving the person who wrote the review the initial ownership and then having it shared with the website. How has it changed over the last decade? So it's always evolved. It's always been grassrootsy. It always had like this feel of being homemade. I've wanted to keep it that way. I haven't wanted to go with this 2.0 look so much because I think it's just too generic. And I feel I put a lot of love in the site. I'd like to express it in some way that it's playful. It's not too serious. There's other guides that are on the web that are more just information only kind of thing. And I think that Happy Cow also has community. It has sense of the roots of, you know, veganism movement to some degree. Eric Brent, thank you very much for being on The Vegan Option. All right. Thank you, Ian. Take care. (laughs) Diana? We're trying to make a vegan radio show and you're pretending to make birds hurl themselves at pigs. Oh, oh, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I was, uh, I was just uh, trying to look at all the vegan apps on my smartphone and I got distracted. <laughs> so I have quite a few apps. There is Veg Out, which is based on Happy Cow. Eric told me that they are not updating that. That's an old partnership. So obviously they're taking the Happy Cow data, but their own app, the Happy Cow app, is being updated. And I have to say that the app that I recommend most highly, especially in the USA, is Vegan Express, which has all of the different company chains, including cafes, movie theaters, and restaurants. And it tells you what's vegan. And this guy basically emails all these different places and asks them what's vegan, as well as there's vegan candy, vegan junk food, beer and wine, all kinds of different things on there. So it's super useful, especially let's say your family says they want to go out somewhere generic at a chain restaurant. You can figure out what you can eat without asking a million questions. And then I have a lot of recipe finders. And I find that all of the recipe apps that I have on my iPhone, it's a lot easier when you have certain things in your pantry to look up something on an app generally than it is to use the index of your cookbooks. So I I do use those a lot. There are a lot of recipe books because app companies like MobiFusion and and Yucca uh, often publish lots of books and recipe databases, and including um, ones that are specifically vegan. And I have iVegan and Animal Free, which are really useful for looking up trace ingredients. Although nowadays, especially since I started living in the UK, I try my best to eat things that I don't have to read the ingredients on. The labeling here is so much better than the States. It just says vegan on it and I know what I can eat. 
Uh, and likewise, I use Vegan Easy and Vegan Express because they've got the barnivore lists of which alcohol is vegan. When Jasmine Singer from the animal activist site Our Hen House reviewed apps, she didn't find much for non-Apple platforms. Indeed, she suggested there was a gap for hacktivists to build new Android apps. And it was hard for us to find a, a, a non-iPhone vegan geek. But, but Eric Brent has an Android phone and was quite happy to say what his favorite app was. So the Android app that I was going to re- recommend people try, it's called Vegible. Uh, it's, I think, developed in the U.S. and it allows you to scan products and it'll tell you if they're vegan or not. So if they have one of those barcodes, you can scan it. We should talk about other podcasts. We had a chat with Jordan Wyatt of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals a few days ago. He interviewed us and that's going to be on his show soon. You can hear that at coexisting.co.nz. Another piece of hacktivism is veganfeed.com, a website with an up-to-date display of various vegan blogs and internet radio shows. One dedicated developer spent several hundred hours on it, and it's now a great place to find the latest vegan podcasts. I'm sure I'm not the only person for whom vegan feed makes them feel quite hungry. We'd better go eat then. Cue Rob Masters Music. That game I was playing instead of podcasting was Angry Birds. Sounds copyright Rovio. Fair users comment on the game's addictive nature and not very vegan theme. Links that people mention and chances to help our contributors are in our show notes at theveganoption.org. Do mention your online vegan app or project in the comments. I'm Diana Fleischman with Comment and Analysis. I'm Ian McDonald, reporting and producing. Please follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, Give us good reviews on iTunes, where we are now officially five stars, and tell other people about us. Goodbye until next month. Bye.